0: It is a gorgeous morning here at Lock Erie near Anacortes, Washington. We have about 10 inches of snow on the ground, which is very unusual for this area. With Puget Sound just within eyesight of myself, where I'm sitting right now, we usually stay too warm for snow. But our lake on which I live in this humble old house is frozen over completely, and the mountain across the lake is now not just snow capped; it's uh, completely uh, encased in snow from the bottom to the top. It, the sky is as blue as blue can be, and it's just a gorgeous day. Uh, and it's warming up to almost free to the 32 degrees uh, freezing temperature. I'm coming to you with part three of a series of articles that I post on my blog j as the initial j michael jones writer.com. and i'm trying to do a transition over from blogging which i've done for 15 years to doing short podcasts which would save me time and now i was diagnosed with cancer 3 years ago my blog post area has mostly been dominated by people very nice people who come there to read about my cancer which fortunately right now i don't have to write about too often and I'm trying to separate out my more philosophical, theological, other uh, 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 ponderings, I call them ramblings, uh, that I used to do in writing. I'm trying to switch that over to doing a short podcast. And this is part of the experiment. But this would be a number two. And I'm finding out that my podcasts take off and swim out to sea all by themselves and have a life of their own. I have to make some connection to who I am because these are people who've never visited my blog page uh, and don't know much about me. So I'll just briefly do this introduction and dive right into this topic. Uh, My name is J. Michael Jones. Uh, I'd had 38 years as a uh, physician associate working mostly in headache disorders, working at Mayo Clinic before I came out here and then diagnosed with cancer three years ago. And my career came to an abrupt halt after I got laid off after I had cancer. Uh, I spend a lot of my time now in writing. I've always written in the medical world articles for journals and things like that. And now I'm trying my best as an aspiring novelist uh, to learn that craft. And it's a very hard craft. Uh, I've, I've, I've spent many, many hours on this over the last three or four years. And I'm now working on my third novel, which I hope will be my best. Uh, it's called The Runner Stone, at least now the working title, The Runnerstone: Stone, A Journey Out of Yemen and I hope they have that on the market uh, later this year. I have this unfortunate thing, according to my wife, of uh, wanting to walk into very controversial topics. And the reason I do it is not that I'm a critic or I'm uh, critical of people or, or movements or things like that, is I'm, I'm, I have tremendous curiosity and I consider myself a deep thinker and that's just the way I am. Uh, and it reminds me of sort of a funny story I used to have a clinic in Bellingham Washington and I drive up there one day a week along the water almost the whole way and there's this beautiful house uh, near the water it was on the river as the river ran into Puget Sound and the house was owned by an artist uh, is all painted in really delightful colors like if I remember right purples and pinks and one morning to my horse as I came past there at sunrise the house was still smoking, that 80% of the house had burned down during the night. But the odd thing about it, and I don't know the reasons behind it, uh, maybe it was lack of insurance or something, the artist continued living in that house in its poor state of repair for years. I, I went past it not too long ago, and I think it has been repaired mostly uh, at this point. But one morning I came by, and here's this burnt, mostly burnt down house and a man living there. Uh, at least a man, and he was out in the front yard with a tank on his back and a blowtorch burning weeds in his yard. And I started laughing uncontrollably for the rest of the morning, trying to get that image out of my mind. Over his shoulder was his burnt down house, and there he stood with a blowtorch. But I was sharing that that mental picture with a friend of mine, and they said, well, at least he has nothing to lose. (laughs) And and that that way, I look at these controversial topics. because as a hermit you have no friends to lose anymore uh in 2019 i was suddenly diagnosed uh with multiple myeloma and had to go into aggressive treatment because i had renal failure as well preparation for a bone marrow transplant and did the bone marrow transplant i call it summer camp at Auschwitz. it was horrible Uh, i came home and uh, worked to get my energy back to try to go back to work it uh, took six months of being able to go from walking to my house to my car to adding a little bit more distance and that kind of thing. And then go back to work and I'm laid off the first day for having this work for a bone marrow transplant and figure that. But anyway, I had two months out in public before COVID hit. And then I had letters I had to immediately go back and quarantine. I've been in quarantine now for a total of three years. So not having any public interactions with people, uh, I don't go into stores if I can help it. Uh, I wear masks. I've been um, I have vac- vaccinated. I have boosters. But for someone with a bone marrow transplant and active cancer and chemotherapy and all those things, the vaccination probably does not work. Uh, so I've, I've lost virtually all the friends I've had. And also, and I'll just, I'm going to explain this in a second as this background as I jump into this topic. I don't have an allegiance to any particular church or philosophical movement. I'm very questionable about uh, things I hear, and that's turned off a lot of people, especially in uh, the age of Donald Trump and evangelicalism, which uh, I used to be a part of. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about my background. So I uh, was born in Appalachia in the Bible Belt in Northeast Tennessee. and By age 18, I became a raging evangelical. I mean, as hardcore evangelical as you could possibly be. And by, uh, how many years? Probably uh, 15 years later, I found myself as a missionary uh, to Muslims outside of Cairo, Egypt, which I thought was probably the most difficult mission field in the world, maybe outside of Mecca because, and I chose it because it was hard. And I was there with my wife and uh, two kids and one that was born soon after we arrived there. And it was very difficult. But after living there for a while in this slum, not around other Americans, uh, all of our friends were Egyptians pretty much, that I had a tremendous disillusionment with my evangelical upbringing. And I won't go into details about that here. Someday I might on a different uh, podcast. But I remember that morning very well. It's a hot August morning and several major events had happened that finally got me to the point that believed that I was a complete phony, and all the evangelicals I knew, at least overseas, were complete phonies. It was all a farce. And I stood there and my, watching my entire evangelical world crumble right before my eyes, and I said, God, if you're out there somewhere, I want to find you, but more than anything, I want to know the truth. So I consider the 1990s, uh, my quote, seven years in Tibet, uh, was a year of searching. I went from being agnostic and depressed, very depressed, to ag- that considering Near Eastern uh, religion or Far Eastern religions, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, those things. But eventually I came back and picked up a Bible after years of being away from it and just read it simply through as I'd never seen it before. And I was profoundly uh, impressed of how different it looked from my evangelical days when you were told what to think, how to think, and but never allowed to think on your own ever. Uh, and I would rediscovered historical Jesus, and I was blown away by him, even though I'd been a prof- professing uh, evangelical for 30 years. Um, and now I consider myself a Christian again, but I don't have uh, any allegiances, so don't try to, you know, put, put me in a box of where I'm coming from, uh, I'm certainly not evangelical. Now, I do go to a Presbyterian church, and I'm a member, and I'm very happy to be a member. And the reason I go there is because it's packed with these wonderful people. Uh, It's not because I believe completely with the Presbyterianism, as I may have at one time, but uh, uh, that's the reason. So now, getting to the point of this podcast, I can really sum it up uh, very quickly. I I wrote uh, several pages on my blog about this but this topic is the shallowness of pro-choice which i mentioned last time and very briefly the shallowness of pro-choice is on the fringes the outside fringes there are some pro-choice people that see abortion only as a women's right issue or maybe even a racist issue and has no value to the fetus whatsoever and therefore it becomes just another form of birth control and that's that's a travesty in my opinion and and that's only a very slim margin of those people who are pro-choice. Most of them see the great difficulty in the choice that women make to get an abortion um, and the, the, just the painful uh, process of that. On the other side, idolatry, uh, pro-life, you know, you think of an idol, uh, you don't usually think of pro-life and that alone probably offends evangelicals, but I'll get to that uh, more spot on next time. This time I want to s- simply address that what does the Bible really say about abortion? And I bring this up because uh, the, the evangelicals and conservative Catholics uh, tend to be on the same page uh, in some of these matters that the evangelical community in America, now I've, I've been with, with uh, Christians from many different countries and it's not the same, but evangelicals, especially white evangelicals in America tend to be on the same page. And uh, forgive me for painting them with a broad stroke but if you look at them as a movement, there's three major issues or tenets of their faith. Number one, probably number one, is abortion. Number two is gay marriage. And number three is, you can call it an American nationalism, but I call it sort of an evangel-American. It's, uh, it's the false idea that somewhere in America's history, it's a mythological idea. America was like a white evangelical country, godly, and these ungodly, and they usually call them liberals, whatever that means, came in and has destroyed America and ruined it. And now the Christians have a mandate to reconstruct America as a Christian country and impose laws of, of their moral ideas onto everyone. But it's a thing about power of the government. And that seems to supersede abortion and gay rights, although they're all three connected. Now I'm talking about that more in the future. But here's the thing that uh, uh, is very uh, uh, confusing. That I wish I had one of those uh, machines that the Men in Black had. I think it's called a neuralizer. That they did a flashlight and it would co- totally erase your memory. I wish I could do that with the people I'm talking to now. For evangelicals if any are listening to this or uh, conservative Catholics or even pro-choice people, that you could erase their cultural understanding of what's going on. And today we're just going to be looking at what the Bible really says. Uh, but I would like to flash that light and just start from scratch or like you were an alien from another planet. So the Bible has about 301,000 verses. And the verses devoted to either gay marriage or abortion are zero. Absolutely none. I heard a uh, lady tell me once, she was not raised in a Christian home, raised in an atheist home. Parents were professors, I think, she told me. She had a lot of evangelical friends. So one day, out of the blue, she bought a Bible and spent the next few weeks reading it from cover to cover. And she was appalled. She thought she had the wrong book because she thought it would be full of anti-abortion statements, of uh, anti-gay marriage statements, hatred of gays, uh, hatred of climate change, all these things. And none of that was in the Bible. None of it. Uh, But on the other hand, she gets to Jesus who's saying, uh, my kingdom's not of this world. And then she looked at the evangelicals all trying to get power, political power, to dominate this country as part of their calling, and she was as confused as she could be, and I don't blame her. I was likewise confused. So, today I want to look at what verses do appear in the Bible that have anything that, that could remotely relate to abortion. And I have to look this up. Uh, and in my blog cast, uh, I have the verses, or not my in my blog, in my, uh, blog. I have the, the, the whole chapter, but I'm going to look at Exodus 21. This is about law. It's uh, verse after verse talking about the law, you know, and about justice. And it gets to verse 22, and it says, If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman, causing her to miscarriage, but there's no serious injury to the woman, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there's serious injury to the woman, Uh, You are to take a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. So taking this in the simplest form, uh, this verse is saying that the fetus in the woman's belly has value. It's not like the extreme pro-choice view that it's like warts, it has value, but it has nowhere the value of the human woman because the child, the unborn child, can be justly compensated with money and the woman cannot. So that's that's it that is the only verse that mentions miscarriage in the entire bible or abortion of course abortion is an elective miscarriage it's not it's a totally different word. so abortion is never mentioned um and then another verse when i was a uh a pro-life person that was we had posters of this and it's from psalms 139 a poem that says for you created my innermost being you knit me together in my mother's womb I praise you because I'm fearful and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Uh, And I know that full well. So this verse, is poetry, but what's it saying? It's saying you knit me together in my mother's womb. So you put those two verses together and you have to make inferences, but otherwise the Bible is silent on abortion. And I've heard evangelicals tell me, well, it's silent because abortion didn't happen back then oh it did it did it happened since the beginning of humanity uh, intentional miscarriages even the killing of children that you didn't want was a practice so the bible could have easily have addressed that but it did not it was silent on on the act of abortion and intentional miscarriage but being knit together and the idea that a baby in a womb can be compensated with money but not a full adult woman, you have to assume that becoming human is a process. That when a male sperm enters the woman's ovum or egg and fertilizes it and the, the, the genes split and, and combine into a new being, if you assume, as evangelicals do, that at that point it is absolutely fully human with all the rights of a human being, that makes no sense it makes no sense to the bible and it makes no sense biologically and it makes no sense philosophically i think people in general have a hard time with the understanding of processes they see things in black or white or at least ideas that evangelical the world was created instantly in six days six thousand years ago and it could be no other way uh, and the idea of a long process which makes god even bigger you have to take him out of this little box where he does everything in black and white and make him this big God that does things in these complex processes. Uh, we couldn't get our minds around that. But you have to get your mind around that. Although it's hard to put, you know, hard to think about value. I mean, at what point does does the child, does the unborn baby reach full human value? I think at the time of birth is simply an easy marker. Although there's times in history they put sometimes up to age 12 or 14 before they became fully human and death of a child was uh, less serious than death of a full-grown adult. Even in our society we devalue children all the time you know the price of children getting in things is less. Uh, Pediatricians make the least amount of money because their work is seen as less valuable than that of an adult physician uh, primary care or whatever. So that's simply what the Bible says about abortion. But, I and that's the the whole point of this podcast, is looking at this. Because uh, when I uh, talk to uh, evangelicals, uh, they always define themselves as being biblical. uh, And that's what separates them from society. But I take that, that term, I'm biblical, or it's biblical, with a grain of salt. I do because, as an evangelical, we use that term all the time. I was with, with a group called the Navigators, and we saw ourselves as more biblical than other evangelicals. Evangelicals saw themselves as more biblical than non-evangelical Christians, etc. And it's just a uh, term that is totally meaningless. And it became most meaningless to me, and I'll get that more into that later, uh, when I heard When every single evangelical I know, and I know a lot because I grew up in the South, uh, are avid supporters of Donald Trump. And they all told me the reason why he was so biblical, quote, so biblical. Anyway, so the term biblical to me uh, is nonsense because if you look at what the Bible really says, you have to walk away with a conclusion that life is a process developing, uh, becoming a human being. So with that said, so what's my point in all this? So again, the whole reason that I'm uh, doing this series of articles, um, controversial articles, and this blog it, blog, po- po- pa- blog podcast uh, is trying to, uh, and it is a blog cast because it starts with a blog and ends up being a podcast. Is trying to lay out the groundwork for what I think is a very peaceful and helpful way to resolve this cultural war problem. Uh, and my goal. And some people will interpret me and say, "Oh, uh, Mike or the Hermit of <laughs> uh, Loch Ear uh, is is pro-abortion," and that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, My point is that the fetus does have tremendous value as a human potential, but that value starts with very little and advances over time to a point of birth. But the big point is the woman has tremendous value, more value than her fetus. And especially when you save a woman's life, there should be no question about taking a fetus if that's what's necessary. And then you have to look at other areas, rape and incest. And I'll probably talk about that uh, in a deeper level later on. But my conclusion, and this is what I want you to walk away with. When I get done, I do want to put out a blueprint, an honest blueprint with all, without all the emotions of the, of the culture wars on how we could almost completely stop uh, the need for abortions in this country. It's within our grasp. Every unwanted pregnancy is a mistake. Uh, It happened somewhere along the line due to uh, often horny men who push women to have sex when they're unprepared from a birth control standpoint. Uh, Women in uh, evangelical families who pretend they're not having sex when they are. Uh, Men who uh, date rape women, and I saw a lot of those when I took care of students at a university a, a number of years ago. Uh, and it goes on and on and on, uh, reasons that women have unwanted pregnancies. But it's always a tragedy, and those virtually all could be re- be prevented, but not by this whole idea of evangelicals trying to win over the government to impose. Uh, I've heard evangelicals say they want the death penalty for every woman who's had an abortion and every doctor who's performed an abortion. They think that's what would be justified legally. That's nothing to do with the Bible. Uh, The Bible is clear as day on that issue. So anyway, in the name of peace, uh, I'll leave these thoughts with you. And uh, if you come up with any scripture that you think contradicts what I've said, uh, go to my J. Michael Jones uh, blog and put it under comments. Uh, I'm open to anything, but I've read through the Bible uh, back and forth and I've never seen any other uh, passages but I've seen many passages that uh, especially the, the evangelical group I was with totally ignore totally ignore uh, anyway so you have a wonderful day uh, I hope your day is as glorious as mine here in the beautiful blue sky on a snow uh, <laughs> snow <clears throat> snowy world around a beautiful lake